How many were in the first service? Well, you, some of you stayed over. What are you, addicts for the word? Is that it? Addicts for the word? We thank all of you for being with us, and we appreciate so very much Pastor's invitation. This is a great church and a great ministry team that you have here. And he's got 19 grandchildren. Look, I'm 58 and got my first one coming. What happened to my family? I did do the DNA testing. You know the DNA testing they do? My wife and I did it, and my wife is about 60% British. Is why she's so refined, I guess. I had 15 different nationalities in my... No, I've never seen nothing like it. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I looked at my wife and said, it's very obvious my ancestors were nothing but fornicators. <laughs> it's obvious. How I turned out the way I did, only God knows. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. I just felt like I want to tell you that. Just a couple things. Thank you for coming. At five o'clock tonight, we have a great service. And I'm telling you, I'm really very anticipative of the word that I'm going to give you and what God's going to do. Please don't miss it. Whatever you do, the impartation happens when you're there. And so we want you to do that. Number two, Robbie and our team have our material. Uh, the Bible, if you didn't get our New Testament commentary Bible, that's out there. What's on Manifest is out there. The new book's out there. Is Feeding Demons out there? The new book, Feeding Demons, which is our warfare book that's just come out, out there. So that's out in that area if you're interested in that. And also very quickly, how many partners of my ministry are here? Raise your hand. Part okay, okay. Wow, it's a good number. Most of you know that we have a partners only meeting, 3.30 in that room over there. And so you join me at 3.30. We'll, we'll go up to a service time and bring your books and so on. I'll sign them for you. It's good to have our partners here. Uh, amen. Say, I love the Lord, somebody. Say, I love the Lord. Sometime back, I had a youth conference with uh, several thousand young people. And my daughter said something to me which is probably going to make me cry. I did not know that when my daughter was 11 years of age that on her iPad, she came across pornography. I don't know if you know this, but there's sites that you go to that are supposed to be kid sites, but actually are pornographic sites. And that's why you guys need blocks on all your kids' stuff. Come on, talk to me now. She got addicted to pornography at age 11 and was addicted for four years and God delivered her. And I preached this message. I may not get all of it in. It was a big youth event and I, and I had to stretch it out for a period of time. But she said to me after service, which kind of broke my heart, she says, dad, if somebody would have preached that message when I was 11, I don't think I would have ever fallen into pornography the way that I did. And so today I'm going to share with you a message called what the devil does not want you to know about temptation. We're going there. I'm going to read from the Amplified Translation. I like this particular translation from Hebrews chapter 2, verses uh, 17 and 18. He, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. So, it is evident that it was, it was essential that he, speaking of Jesus, be made like his brethren in every respect in order that he might become a merciful, sympathetic, and faithful high priest in the things related to God to make atonement and propitiation for people's sins. For because he himself in his humility uh, has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried, he is able immediately to run to the cry of assist and relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. Uh, I'm going to share with you in a moment two particular Greek words that are used in the New Testament for, te for the word tempt or temp tempting or temptation 
that have two different connotations to them. But before I do that, I want to talk about for a moment about what I call temptation facts. I've got good news and bad news. What do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Okay, bad news, bad news. You will be tempted the rest of your life. Good news, it's going to end one day. Bad news, it's when you're dead. So just so that you'll know, everybody in this room, including myself, every minister, every pastor, evangelist, teacher, prophet, apostle, and church members of any level have something that you have to deal with. With mine, it was depression for when I was a kid. I had two, uh, three members of our family, one on my wife's side, two on my side, that had complete total nervous breakdowns in our DNA. And there's a spirit of oppression and depression that tries to come on us. And I've had to battle that, especially in my earlier years. Then I have a side of me that comes honestly out of dad's side of the family that's very temperamental. You can set me off real easy and I've had to deal with that. I know you think I'm humble, gentle, and kind, but just don't stir me the wrong way. You'll, you'll, you'll believe that the rest of your life. No, and I'm really serious. That's something that I've had to deal with. And there's other issues that are weaknesses that people have, but let me say something to you. Temptation will hit you at three major seasons. Ready? The season of youth, the season of marriage, and the season of old age. Or aren't we so fortunate because everybody in this room falls in one of those three categories. Let me talk about when you're young. Here's what the Bible says you will deal with when you're young. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22. Flee youthful lust. The lust of the flesh because of the male testosterone that's high in the body when you're a teenager and a little bit older than that. And all the other issues that are there. The one thing teenagers have to deal with today. And Paul apparently said that they dealt with it in his day was what we call youthful temptations or youthful lust, which in most instances today is some form of sexual temptation or sexual lust. Then the second level is at the time of marriage. Mark chapter 419. I believe this is the one thing that more couples deal with. It's called cares of life. And the enemy will test you with cares of life. He'll tell you, you've had a hard weekend. Take Sunday off. Forget God. Take the boat out on the lake. Now you say that's insignificant. That's stupid. That doesn't even make sense. No, believe it or not, the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together and the manner of some. But the cares of life will come on you to where you can't enjoy life. You're so busy paying the bills. You don't have anything left over. You're busy working two jobs trying to make inmates. So in your marital years, whether it's a young couple or you've been married 20, 30 years, you'll find out that the biggest thing you're going to have to deal with is how to deal with the cares of life, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, Mark chapter four. Now, when you get older, uh, you'll find in Galatians chapter six and verse nine, this is what you'll deal with, weariness in your body. You consistently deal with becoming weary in well-doing. Remember this, David as a teenager ran to Goliath. But when he was in his 50s, a new giant, a giant with a new sword almost killed David. David found out that he couldn't fight in his older days the way he fought in his younger days. That he still had the zeal in his heart. He still had the thinking in his mind. But his physical body was not functioning the way that it did in his younger days. So when you become older in age, you're going to have to deal with weariness. And how do I deal with the weariness? And how do I get my zeal? How do I keep my fire back? Now, having said that, temptation moves in three, three, three different levels of light, medium, and strong. 
Let me give you an example from the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus had to deal with people, they're always pressing on him for prayer, for a miracle, and for healing. So this is a, this is a light season, but he had to get away from them. He had to go rest for a while. So he had to get away from the people because the people uh, were kind of pressing him down and, and pulling at him all the time. But Jesus had to deal with Pharisees. Oh, that bumped it up to a level because they're always uh, attacking him, always criticizing him, saying things falsely about him, saying he preached things that he didn't really preach. So in that situation, Jesus had to hide from them. There were times that Jesus would not go to a town, if you'll read your Bible, because the Pharisees were planning on stoning him or killing him. Jesus was real smart. He said, when they persecute you in one city, flee to the other. So there's a time to stay and there's a time to get out. Come on, somebody. There's a time to fight and there's a time for flight. And Jesus understood both of them. But then there were other times that when Jesus dealt with Satan himself, Matthew 4, Luke chapter 4, that, that was a very, very strong strong testing. And then there's the agony in the garden where it says his sweat became as great, became as great drops of blood. And that Greek word agonia, the, the, the agony, the, the weight of the sins of the world being placed on him. So your testing will be light at times. Paul talked about this light affliction will soon pass. Then it will be medium at times where it's not really light, but it's not really heavy. And there'll be other times that it's extremely heavy with such pressure that you're not sure what to do or you're not sure how to deal with it. Now, the reason for testing or let's just say it out, any form of temptation is the ultimate goal is to get you to quit, just to get you to give up and to quit and say, you know, I just don't want to put up with this. I'm done with it. To quit serving God, to quit reading the word, to quit going to the house of God. Another reason for testing is to, uh, to cause you to become apprehensive that God doesn't really care about you because you'll say, well, I must be going some, through something nobody else has ever gone through. If God really loved me, why is he letting me go through this? And the other thing that you have to understand is the end enemy wants you to, 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 to do something because he understands this principle. And I want you to hear this principle. Satan can only win in a believer's life when a believer throws in the towel and stops fighting. Do you understand that? So when you quit fighting, he wins. As long as there's fight in you to resist the devil, to having done all to stand, stand therefore, he does not win that battle, whatever type of battle that you might be in. Now in the Bible, I want to, in Genesis chapter, chapter 22 of the Old Testament, it says this, for God did tempt Abraham. And this is a story of God asking Abraham to put Isaac on the altar. Now that word tempt there causes a real contradiction, especially the English translation, because if we come into the New Testament, we read this, for God is not tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So now we're saying that God tempts Abraham. And the reason I'm bringing this out is there was a website that had 150 contradictions of the Bible. So this was one. God did tempt Abraham. And the Bible says God cannot be tempted nor does he tempt man. That's a contradiction. No, excuse me, dummy. That's not a contradiction. <laughs> what you have to do is you have to go to the Hebrew and the Greek words. In that word in Genesis 22, God did tempt. It's not the word for tempt like temptation, like sexual temptation or moral temptation. It is the word for test. It means to assay something like putting gold in a fire to get the impurities out. It's better translated and God did 
put Abraham in a test, not a temptation. Temptation and testing are two different things. And that's where I want to go here in just a moment to help you understand. Because in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for test uh, means this, to test by an adventure, to assay, to put the metal in the fire to get the impurities out. So when God tests something, what he does is he tests it to see how strong it is. He tests it to see, will it endure? And what I want to do now is I want to kind of go into the New Testament and share a couple things with you. The word test, test is not used in the uh, 1611 King James translation, English translation of the Bible, which is what I've preached from my whole life since I was 16, but that is not uh, used. However, you will find that there is the word tempt, tempted, tempting, temp, temptation. Those particular forms of the words are used. Now, what is interesting is, and this is where word studies are important. If I were to say to you, tempt, tempted, temptation, etc., you think it means one thing. I'm put under pressure to do something wrong. How many of you, when I say temptation, that's what comes to your mind? Because that's what comes to my mind. So you can raise your hands. It's safe to raise your hands. This is not a, this is not a test. Okay. This is just to see. So, but I found out that there are two different Greek words. Now, this is important. You understand this for the word to test something. And I want to give you the first one right, right now. There is a word, a Greek word called dokimazo. And this word dokimazo in ancient manuscripts referred to a doctor who took his medical exams and passed the medical exam. And by passing the medical exam, he received his, what we would say, his medical degree or his certificate to practice medicine. So the original word dokimazo was a doctor passing his exams. And by passing the exam, he gets his medical certificate. Dokimazo Mazo actually means passing an examination, to pass an examination. Or we would say today in college to pass the exam or school to pass the test. That would be the Greek word that we would use in relation to any of those things that I have just mentioned. Now, it's important to know this, that you can only pass a test if you have knowledge of the subject. You cannot even take the test unless you have the information. You cannot pass the test unless you have knowledge of the information that you're taking. Now that sounds real elementary and that sounds very, very simple. But you'd be surprised how many people want God to give them victory over something and they don't even know what God promised them that he can give them victory over. They don't even know what the scripture says about what they're dealing with. So how can you overcome when you have no weapon in your hand, the sword of the word, to speak to the enemy in order to overcome. So this word dokimazo is passing a test. Now it is used in the New Testament indicating a good outcome related to the test. Now here's the second word that's very significant. We're going to plow into this word a little bit here. It's the word for tempt. Tempt. King James translation and, and they did tempt God in the wilderness. King James translation. Satan came, the tempter came and did tempt Jesus. This is the word perazo in Greek. Now this is important that you understand what this word means. The original word meant to pierce something with the intent of searching it out. Let me say it again. To pierce something with the intention of searching it out. It is used, this Greek word is translated tempted in the English translation of our Bible. And again, I'll go back to the 1611 translation. In that Bible, it is translated 14 times and it is translated when Satan came and tempted Christ in order to get him to do something contrary to what God's purpose or God's will was. This word, perazo, means to search it to discover if that which is in it is good or if that which is in it is bad. It is also used 
in order to search something to discover if it has a particular weakness in it. Now it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 9 that Israel tempted God in the wilderness. And there are several sins, you can read about them in 1 Corinthians there, there are several sins that Israel committed that caused God to become very angry at them in the wilderness. And there was a limited selective judgment that was sent to many of the people because of their disobedience to God. Now God said to them, and I want you to hear this, I will not take you when you come out of Egypt and you go to the promised land. God said, I'm not going to take you the way of the sea. Now the way of the sea, that would have been so cool. I mean, you could have, you could have taken a take, gotten in the ocean. You could have gone fishing. You could have chilled out in your tent. No, God says, I'm taking you by the way of the wilderness. Now, why did God not take him the easy road? Why did God take him the hard road? It tells you in the Bible, if God would have taken them the easy road, the Bible said there were Philistines there and the Philistines had iron weapons and the Israelis did not have the weapons they needed. And the Bible said they would have become discouraged when they would saw the weapons of their enemies and all the Philistine encampments and they'd have turned around and gone right back into the mess they came out of. So here's what God says. This is so funny. So God says, I'm going to take you to the wilderness to prove you to see what is in you. Ah, here we go. There is the perazzo. So God is going to take them into a place to show them what is really in them. Now I'm going to give you a word that you just need to hear right now. And that is this. You do not know what is really in you till you have pressure. Thank you all five rows that I'm preaching to this morning. The rest of you will get Starbucks later and wake right up. I tell you, it'll be good. Let's try that again. You do not know what you married till you got married. Oh, don't say amen there. I always tell these young guys, like we have 150 young people. <clears throat> they, they, they talk to me about, you know, being married and they want some little advice. I say, here's my best advice to you if you're a guy. My best advice is call her mom and dad and say, now look, look, after she's gone to the gym, stepped out of the shower with no makeup on and her hair is wet and stringy, call me. Because what you need to do is go over there when she doesn't have her hair fixed and she doesn't have her makeup on because that's what you're going to wake up with the rest of your life. And I always tell those girls, I said, ask his best friends what he's really like. And say, tell me the truth. What's he like when he's this way? What's he like when he's that? Find out from people who know him what he's really like. Come on, somebody help me preach. I'm trying to help you here this morning. Because I just want you to, because I just want you to know all those Hollywood movies where they wake up after sleeping all night and they're slobbering on each other. The devil is a liar. I want you to know it does not happen that way. When you wake up in the morning, you will be looking opposite of each other till you brush your teeth. Come on. I want somebody to help me preach this message through this morning. Help get me through this, please. <laughs> now, point being this, the test, the test was Israel had stuff in them that they did not know that was in them. Then they got under extreme pressure and it began to show. So you never know what you're really like until you really can't pay the bills and there's no money in the bank. Don't you just love those people when hell's breaking loose on you, they want to come around and tell you God's good all the time, all the time, God's good. And you're just trying to figure out where God went to. Who am I preaching to now? So, so the point is that there is a testing that comes this way. Now, what I want to show you, which is very, very important to understand is this. Peranzo is used for satanic pressure. Luke 4, verse 2, and Satan came to tempt Jesus. The tempter came. 
This word perazzo is used in connection with testing or temptations that Satan attempts to bring against a person's life. Now, here's the reason to to exploit a person's weakness. Now, I know we probably all look at ourselves sometimes and think we're doing real well. But let me just say to you that there are weaknesses in everybody that that's what the enemy wants to exploit. We often spend all of our time building our strengths when our strengths don't need to be built. It's the weakness that needs to be worked on. So remember this, that this Greek word is used when Satan comes as a tempter and he comes to find the weakness, to pierce it, to pierce it, to find the weakness to try to get the weakness to be exposed in some form. And he does that through temptation and through a person yielding over to temptation. The word dakimazo is always used of God or something positive and never of Satan. Let me show you this word. Luke 4, 19, he had to prove five yoke of oxen. Romans 12, verse 2, renewing of the mind to prove the will of God. That's the word dokimazo. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, if a person is still remaining in the faith. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, approve all things and hold fast that which is good. The word approve, to be approved of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 18. 2 Timothy 2, 15 is dokimos, which means to be approved after a test. So what is your temptation? Your temptation is a test. It matters not if it's light or it's medium or it's strong. It matters not if it's in the teen years, which is dealing with fleeing youthful lust. It doesn't matter if it's in the married years, dealing with the cares of life. It doesn't matter if it's in the older years of you struggling physically with physical problems and you're frustrated because you can't do what you want to do and you can't get out the way you used to. Whatever becomes a test for you to cause you to become weak to where you react in your weakness and you react in a manner that somehow will eventually bring a crisis or trouble or problems even to you spiritually. That is the, t- that is the plan of the enemy. The enemy wants to do his best to keep you down, to keep you exposed, to keep you in the weakness. And I'll tell you something else he'll do because I've talked to people that said when they were dealing with addictions or they're dealing with horrible things, the enemy, this is not God telling you this, but the enemy will tell you that you're going to battle this the rest of your life. He will tell you this is your thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, didn't he? So the rest of your life, you're going to have this thorn in the flesh. And you know, speaking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, let me just throw something out here real quick. You know, we often talk about that Paul said, I besought the Lord three times for the thorn to depart from me, but it didn't depart. God said, my grace is sufficient. So that's in 2 Corinthians 12. So Paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan, an angel of Satan that buffeted him. And in 2 Corinthians 11, you've got 22 things that Paul had to deal with. And most of them were things dealing with people beating him, shipwreck. Now, nobody did that, but the storm, but he had shipwreck, beaten with stone, uh, stone and left for dead, beaten with rods. All the stuff he talks about was people harassing him. How many of you, you, you know that your enemy's not the person, it's the spirit working behind the person. And so demons would stir these people up 
against Paul and he had to deal with it. But I like what I'm going to say. When you go to the book of Acts, it's the only book of the New Testament that does not have a conclusion. If you notice, every other book says, and the grace of the Lord be with you, amen, or something like that. Book of Acts has no conclusion. And when you go to the conclusion, it basically says this. Paul is in Rome and he's preaching in his own hired house. He has a hired house for two years with his own servants, no man hindering him. I'm telling you at the end of Paul's life, God gave him some relief to where he wasn't hindered by Jewish people trying to kill him, hindered by somebody trying to stone him. He wasn't in ships. He wasn't getting beat up with rods. Can I tell you something? The Bible tells us and teaches us about Job and it says you've seen the end of the Lord and you've seen Job, how in the end God reversed everything, how in the end God gave him double, how God is patient and tender and kind. I want to tell you some of you, instead of being in the middle of the problem you need to understand it can't go on forever the enemy can't play in this game forever if I won't quit and if I won't give up God's going to have to come through on my behalf and bring me through it somebody give him praise in the house this morning Oftentimes when we're dealing with all these things, we're, oh God, I'm just so thankful that you did that for me. I'm thankful you did that for me. Has anybody ever sat down and just thought of what God did for you that you didn't know he did? Have you ever thought about the car wreck you could have had and you escaped? Have you ever thought about the plane that could have gone down that you got out of? Have you ever thought about the cancer report that you were supposed to have that you didn't have? Have you ever thought about that kid, your child that should have died in the hospital, but somehow they didn't die and the doctor can't figure it out? Can I have somebody take a praise break right now for the things God did that you didn't know he did. The things he did that you had no idea he did. The way he protected you when you didn't even know you were being protected. Hallelujah, somebody. Every now and then we need to praise him for what he did that we didn't know he did. So when I was preaching this, my daughter said this was the part that touched her because it's in the Bible, but sometimes people don't realize it's there. And I said this, and I want you to hear this because this is very, very, very important. One of the greatest verses in the Bible for me as a human being and for you as a human being is the passage I read to you from the book of Hebrews. And we read it, we know it, we hear it preached on, and sometimes it goes right over top of our head. How many of you know sometimes you don't catch the verse until you need the verse? You know, I've read that a hundred times, but boy, it jumped out on me today, you know? And, this, and it was this. Jesus was also tempted as you and I. Now let me read Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, I want everybody to say all points, tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Now I'm going to give you a revelation. Why does God, why is it necessary for God to send Jesus in a human body? Have you ever thought about that? Was there not another way? Couldn't Jesus come in a spirit body? No, if Jesus would have come in a spirit body, he would be like an angel and angels cannot be seen in our realm. So if you'd have had a Messiah that couldn't be seen, what good would that do? Well, if he came as all God, there's a problem with him coming as all God. Had he come as all God, you couldn't have killed him because God can't be killed because God's a spirit. If he'd have come only as flesh without having deity, we couldn't identify him just as the son of God, as, I'm sorry, as the only begotten son of God. So let me ask a question. Why does God send Jesus in a fleshly body? And here's the reason why. 
because Satan came in the garden to a human being called Adam, caused him to sin, and sin has hereditarily passed on into every human being on the planet. It's, it's what's called the sin nature. It's in you. You didn't make it that way. Some seem to have a little more and some have a little less. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You got kids in the family. You know some, one of your kids got a little bit more of the sin nature than the other one did. That DNA got twisted on that ladder somewhere. You've been there. One's compliant, one's defiant. But watch this. This is so cool. God cannot be tempted. That's what the Bible says. If Jesus only comes as God, he can't be tempted. But because we are tempted and we have to know how do we deal with temptation, God, this is so cool. God, and this is, this is what scripture teaches, God had to send Jesus in a human body, now watch, so that he could be tempted with every, it says all points, did it not? All points means all forms of temptation. You can think it, he was tempted with it. Now somebody says, I don't know about that. I do, because that's what the Bible says. But he had to send him in a human body to be tempted. Now watch this, here we go. And he did not sin being tempted. So God sends his son in a body to prove to you and me, we can be tempted, but don't have to sin. Come on, this is good stuff if you'll get it. I mean, he's in a body. Jump off the temple, command the stones to be made bread, bow and worship me. That's just, that's just three temptations that we know about. But in all points, and he could resist Satan, get behind me. Jesus, you're not going to die. Get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. In other words, in every area where he's tested, he was able to overcome by knowing who he was, knowing his assignment, knowing the will of God and knowing the word. So God sends him to say to you and I, if I sent my son who could physically die, who could be beaten physically, you could see his blood, who could die by crucifixion. And for three and a, well, actually for 33 and a half years, he walked and Satan tried him and tested him, but he got victory. Then I've come by to tell you, God says that I wanted him to come in a body to prove that even though you're in a body, you can still defeat the devil that's trying to come against you, whether it's your body, soul, and spirit. That's pretty neat. Then it says this, and this is the best part. So when we're, going on, when we're going through anything on earth, we have a high priest in heaven who is Jesus Christ. And I love what the Bible says. For we have this high priest who is touched. The Greek word is sympathize, sympathize, having sympathy with us for our infirmity. And that word infirmity there doesn't necessarily mean sickness. We, we know we in America say she's got infirmity. We mean she's physically sick in her body. It's a Greek word. There's a Greek word asthenia, which can mean moral weakness, physical weakness, spiritual weakness, any kind of weakness. So in other words, when you, this is, listen, y'all got to get this. This is the neatest thing. He is touched, sympathizes with the feeling now, now, now remember this, sin has feeling, temptation has feeling with the feeling of our weakness. How can he do it? Because he has been in a body. So in other words, when you cry out to God and you say, God, I'm going through this. God says, I've been there too. Think about this. This is powerful. Whatever it is. Well, God, I'm being tested by this. I need your help. Oh, I know what that's like. I've been there too. How great is this? Because if we're approaching God who knows no sin, who never sinned, I'm talking about the God who sits on the throne, the Father, 
and I'm trying to approach him in a weak body. He's never had a body. God's a spirit. I'm talking about the father, but the father sends his son, puts him in a body that can be pierced and crucified and beaten. Watch this. The Bible said he's a man of sorrow. He is acquainted with grief. He was made a sin offering. Every grief, every sorrow, every pain, every problem, every trouble, every, here's the point, every human emotion that any human being on the planet ever experiences. Jesus somewhere in his life experienced it. He experienced people not believing in him. He experienced being called name. He experienced being rejected. He was experienced being spat upon. When he, when he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept like a human man because of their unbelief. Jesus wept two verses, the shortest verses in the Bible. But I've come by to tell everybody that there's a word that the Lord wants to tell you. The devil wants you to think nobody's ever gone through what you've been through. He wants you to think you're going to be dealing with this the rest of your life. He wants you to think there's no relief in sight. He wants you to think because you got a bondage, you're going to stay in bondage. But I read a verse in the Bible that said, he that the son sets free is free indeed. There's a free indeed verse in the Bible. Come on. We need some free indeed anointing to break out in the body of Christ. We need a free indeed anointing to break out in your life. Mm. Now, the question comes up, why is God so merciful? Because the Bible says he's long suffering. Can I tell you something about the Lord? There are things that probably everybody's done in their life. God should have just said, man, kill him. It's over. Why doesn't God do that? Because the Bible said this, he's long suffering, not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason God is merciful is because God is long suffering. Now, let me say it to you this way. I've heard people say, oh, there's places in America, man, there's full of sin that, you know, that God should have wiped them off the map a long time ago. Maybe so, probably so. But let me just tell you about this. Ready? God doesn't just judge sin immediately. He convicts of sin first. This is good. I wish I had time to preach it all the way through. When you sin, God doesn't come to you and put judgment on you. What God does is he puts conviction on you. How many know what I'm talking about? Conviction is arrest. Conviction is a feeling of saying, oh, I, I should have done that. Conviction is something that says, oh, that's not right. I should repent. Now, if a person repents, it's under the blood. But then notice how, notice how faithful God is. There's a woman in the Bible in the book of Revelation called Jezebel who is sexually seducing the men in the church and telling them they can eat meat sacrificed to idols, which the Jewish side of the church didn't believe in that. So watch this. And God says, okay, I know I could go right now and wipe the whole thing out, just kill her, get it over with. But he said, I've given, watch this. This is so cool. I've given her a space to repent. Now, here is a woman in the church messing up the whole church. And everybody knows she's messing up the whole church. And God says, I can go right down right now. Bam, it'd be over with. But I'm going to give her a space to repent. God will convict you first. Now, who am I talking to? It's awful quiet in the house. Maybe I need to preach to that little empty corner of the balcony right there. And preach her up there and just get my eyes off of you so you won't feel bad. Hey, hey, think about this. If you've sinned, you have a conviction. If that conviction feeling is not dealt with, if you, if you repent, then there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ. That comes by repentance. If you don't repent, then God gives you space. A, a space. What's the space? It could be, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what a space is because I'm not God. <laughs> but he gives you space to repent. Now, if you don't have the space to repent, then God comes along and says, all right, first, first conviction, then the space to repent. But if it's space to repent, then you're in trouble. So the trouble, how many do not want to go to three strikes and you're out? Come on, not with God. No, 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 no. So the point that I want to make, and I want you to get this, and I want you to see this, is how God looks at you as a person who cries out to him for help. I want to give you one more nugget. And my daughter said, dad, it's one of the craziest things that I have ever heard. But she said it made more sense. Let me ask you a question. 
And I'm about to wrap this up, but listen to me carefully. Have you ever thought why, why does God hate sin so much? Now he doesn't hate sinners because it says he so loved the world that he gave his son and why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't hate people, but he hates the sin that destroys people. Now I thought about this. I said, Lord, I want you to give me a revelation that I've never read or preached. I want you to tell me why is it that you dislike sin so much? And he told me, he said, son, go to the Bible. In the beginning, I call angels, Bene Elohim, it's in the Old Testament, sons of God. Angels were called sons of God in the beginning. See, God always wanted a family. That's all he ever wanted. He's love, he wants a family. He wants to procreate a family. So he calls angels sons of God, and guess what happens? Lucifer or Satan takes a third of the angels and falls. So that messes up that whole sons of God thing. So then... He goes to earth and creates a man called Adam. And in the book of Luke, Adam is called the son of God. Guess what happens? Satan comes into the garden, bam, causes Adam and Eve to sin. They're expelled from the garden. That messes up that family. You tracking with me? Then Israel, book of Exodus, Israel, my son. God calls Israel, the nation of Israel, his son. And they get in the middle of the wilderness and worship a gold cow. And he ends up killing 3,000 of them. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, the reason I hate sin is every time I ever tried to start my family, sin destroyed it. And he said, that's why I hate it. Because he says it still destroys families. It destroys husbands and wives through a divorce. It destroys kids through addictions. And he says, I love people, but the reason I hate it, because it's killing my family. It's killing my sons and it's killing my daughters. It's killing those that I love that are made in my likeness and in my image. And when the Lord began to speak to me about that, he said, sin has destroyed every family that I've attempted to bring to the earth. And that's why I sent my own son from my heavenly family because I knew he would not fail me. And through him, through him, amen. Isn't that something? And through him, and through him, through him, God started a heavenly family. God wants you to know that number one, he will give you seasons of relief. It says the devil left Jesus for a season. Number two, he wants you to know based on 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he also will help you make a way of escape to be able to bear whatever you're dealing with. He wants you to know number three, Matthew chapter 15, 19 through 20, that the greatest thing he can do for you is give you a new heart and a new mind, a new heart to take out the old heart, the old ways, give you a brand new one. My little daughter, and I'll conclude with this, we did not know she had had this addiction. And she tells her testimony about how four years of going through a a pornographic addiction in our own house, and we didn't know. We have no Showtime, HBO channel. I don't put anything on my TV that's going to tempt me or my kids, if you understand what I'm saying. We were at a conference, and she said, and this is for someone here as I give the altar call. She said, being a pastor's daughter, a minister's daughter, I never wanted to go to the altar during a, an altar call for addiction or an altar call for, you know, hidden sin because I, I didn't want to disappoint people in what they thought about me. Hello, church folks. Well, if I go up there, they're going to, no, that's not the issue. She said, but one day a, a guy came to a conference and preached and she said, I went home and said to myself, now here's where a few of you are. I'm just really sick of this. I'm tired of it. I really don't want to be this way. 
I really don't have to struggle with this anymore. And she got down by the side of her bed and she said, I love what she, how she said it. I cried out to God. I didn't pray. I cried out and said, God, I'm sick of this. Take it from me. And she said, when I cried out and I knew I didn't want it anymore, she said, God came in that room and this, and I thought she was going to say, and he delivered me and I fell out on the floor speaking in tongues. I don't know what she's going to say. And here's what she said. And that's when I felt, you talking about my little girl, she's 14 when this happens. She says, I felt the overwhelming love of God. As though he wrapped his arms around me. And, and he said, he said, Amanda, she said, I, I felt it, but he said this to me. I've never, I never left you through all of it, but I waited for you to cry out to me. And she says, when I did, God set me free. And and, and he really has touched her. She got called to preach at 16. I told pastor, she can stand on this platform and preach the house down already at age 16. She's going to out-preach her dad. I hope she can. I hope she does. But for you who are here, I want you to bow your head because I want to ask some questions. Up in the balcony, I'll be able to see you as well. How many of you here have known the Lord at one time, but you know you've let your heart drift from him? And you know you're not at all where you should be. You're, you're either drawing close to God, maintaining, or growing back. How many of you felt like you've drawn back some and you know you need God's help? Raise your hand right now all over the building. Let me see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You've been drawing back. You know you have up in the balcony. Let me see your hand up in the balcony. Thank you over here. Anybody else? Anybody? Yes, up in the top. Yes, thank you. Is there anybody here that's never truly accepted the Lord as your Savior? You got, maybe you've been around church. I, I've been surprised at people that were raised in church or they've raised in a denomination somewhere. And yet they, yet they, they never really had a, a relationship with the Lord. They had head knowledge, but not a relationship. If you feel like you've had head knowledge, but you've never had a relationship that changed you from the inside out, Put your hand up right now in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, ma'am, right here. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? I've never had a real relationship. You may have been to church, but you've never had a real relationship. I want to take my time because this is the most important thing. This is why I flew all the way up here. I wanted God to touch people today. Hallelujah. How many of you have just felt like your heart has turned cold on the Lord? You just don't feel His presence. You just don't feel His touch. You know you're not an unbeliever but you know you need a new touch. Raise your hand right here. Several of you should raise your hands. I see, I see those hands. All right, now listen carefully. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want just the people who raised your hand. They're gonna step out in the aisle. They're gonna kind of, and the reason I'm having you sit is so they can be able to get out. But go to one of the aisles on the count of three and everybody just start praying for them right where you're seated. Just start praying for them. But on the count of three, come to the front in the balcony if you'll come down the steps right there you see back through there down these steps I want to see the several people in the balcony this is a couple that's in the back back here come on down here I want I want you down here where I am we're going to pray for you on the count of three ready if you raise and if you didn't raise your hands but you need to come you come with them one get ready to stand up and come two are you ready three right now thank you thank you come on right now come on out of your seat praise God everybody just begin to Bless the Lord for him. Amen. Amen. Thank you in the balcony. Come on down in the balcony. Let's come on. Put your hands together. Let's get glorify the Lord for his spirit that's touching this, those that are here. 
Bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Bless his name. While, while they're coming and the ushers are helping us here, everybody put your hand up with me and I'm going to pray for those seated before we pray for those up here. Now, Lord, those who are in this building who've heard this message, this is a message everybody in this building can relate to. And God, for those who are seated, for those who are still coming, thank you for t- talking to them, speaking to their heart. But God, for those who are here, who are seated I'm asking you to strengthen them with might in the inward man, in the inward spirit. Father, everybody's got to make it. Everybody's got to make it to the end. We have to work out our salvation, Paul said, unto the end. So, Father, help the people that are seated to walk with you, to know you and experience you like they never have before. God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll touch every one of them in a special way. God bless you. Those that are still coming, come on down here. We're going to wait on you. How many of you know this is real? This, how many of you know this is the most important thing going on in this town right now? This is the most important thing going on in the city right now. It's what the Lord is doing right here. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Just keep on coming. Keep on coming. I know, I know, I know. I want to say this to you. Sometimes we as ministers will say, close your head and bow you. Then then I'm always reminded of that verse that says, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. But if you won't deny me. And see, the fact that you were bold enough, and this is important you hear this, the fact that you were bold enough to stand up in the midst of all these people is a real compliment toward what God wants to do in your heart. Because you're saying, I'm not going to deny you before this people. I'm not going to deny you before anybody. I know what I need. And I know the touch of God you're going to give me. Everybody stand to your feet right quick and put your hands up in the air. Would would those of you that are here, we raise our hands as a sign of surrender to God. We just do it because the Bible says do it also. But would you pray this prayer out loud right now? Say it with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you right now thanking you for the word of the Lord. The enemy has tried to defeat me. But today... In Jesus' name, the Spirit of the Lord has touched me. God, I'm asking you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to strengthen me from this moment forward. In the name of Jesus, oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Now look this way. This brother right here, they have a great, they have a great, and this won't be long. It'll only take a few minutes, but they have a great prayer ministry here. They want to talk to you and pray with you. So follow this brother right now. Just do that real quick. He's going to take you right there. You'll be right there for just a few moments. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Very thank you. Great word. Would you be seated for just one more moment? We want to obey the scriptural admonition that's found in Galatians 6. It says, let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. Well, we have surely been fed and we're going to receive a love offering for Perry's ministry. He mentioned to me this morning that their their, their, uh, television bill alone, just for airtime, is over $6 million. How many are glad you don't have that? So uh, if you're making out a check, please just make it out to RLC and we'll see to it that he receives one check. But Father, we thank you for the word sown in our hearts. We pray it produce fruit in every life. And we thank you for an opportunity to sow into this ministry. We pray, Father, that the funds that we sow today will touch lives all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.